2: a pumpkin.
3: I was a pumpkin, a big orange pumpkin.
2: A big orange pumpkin. And when you, were there a lot of children out there?
3: Not so much.
2: No? Did you get a lot of candy?
3: Yeah, I got a lot of candy. Mommy's eating all the chocolate bars.
2: Well, tell Mommy that's your candy, honey. Okay. Tell her.
3: i all my chocolate bars, mummy.
0: All-hit
1: X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob Vicano.
0: I was working in the lab late one night when my eyes began my monster from his slab began to rise And suddenly, to my surprise He did the mash He did the monster mash The
3: monster mash
0: It was a graveyard smash He
3: did the mash
0: It caught on in a flash He did the mash He did the monster mash And welcome
2: back to the x one everyone. I'm Rob McConnell. Yep. After 32 years, still at the same email address, Xone at on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And for the best of the Exxon TV channel, visit simultv.com. You know, as we parents are bring up our children, we tell them not to lie. We tell them smoking's no good for you. And then we tell them, not to take candy from strangers. Right? Uh, Except at Halloween, of course. And I believe that Halloween is maintained, advertised, and marketed by the American and Canadian Dental Association. That's just my take on it. And as, as a parent, have you ever noticed that the Halloween candy that you buy to give out to the kids who aren't supposed to take candy from strangers kind of disappears and that the stock that you had prior to Halloween has diminished? Mind you, that explains why the kids are jumping up down and running around the house and you have to scrape them off the ceiling with a, um, you know, some sort of utensil because they're the little people who've been eating the candy. And of course, the wife has to take some blame too there. Halloween. Hmm. This is where you get dressed up. This is where you go trick-or-treating. I remember some kids coming to the door saying, Charity, please. And my answer to that was, Well, charity begins at home. Goodbye. But that's just me. I guess I'm more of a Scrooge at Halloween than I am at Christmas time. And many of you who know me, Find that hard to believe, but that's how I see it. Joining me this hour is one person that I love talking to, having here on the show, Ben benjamin Radford is his name. And Ben, welcome back to the show. How are things with you and Halloweeny?
4: Things are great. Uh, thanks for having me back on. It's uh, you know, Halloween is always the, the one of the busiest times for skeptics and folklorists because there's always some weirdness that that needs uh, needs attention or debunking, whether it's about halloween sadist or satanist or you name it that's when the weirdness comes out
2: uh, yeah i i still can't believe that halloween has lasted this long now with all the different religious philosophies out there who will go against christmas you know we can't say Merry christmas anymore it has to be happy holidays uh who have fought vehemently about easter being celebrated i have never heard anything negative about halloween I've never heard of any religious group trying to get rid of Halloween. Have you?
4: Uh, well, not Halloween specifically. Uh, of, of course, you know, there, are, um, there are lots of uh, groups that have problems with it. Usually the, the complaint is that, uh, that people believe that the holiday itself is somehow sinister or satanic um and that's actually a, a historical um you know we we have a pretty good idea of where halloween comes from mm-hmm. and uh it actually traces back thousands of years to a gaelic festival called sawin um and uh during this time it was sort of this annual communal meeting at the end of the harvest year and it was sort of the, you know the change of seasons and going into the the the, the winter time and things like that so um, it was really about sort of change of season, change of life, and things like that. Um, and it was less about death or evil than than preparing for the dormancy of the winter time.
0: Um,
4: and then that's really sort of that was that was one of the origins of it. Uh, and it wasn't scary. It was more of this sort of amnis am, am, Sorry, excuse me. It wasn't scary. It was more of this animist worldview. Um, and yet, uh, to, to to this day, uh, some fundamentalist church. Uh, Church leaders think that there's somehow something satanic about it. But where does the satanic side come in? Well, there's a couple things. Um, one of the one of the the one of the elements of it is that mm-hmm. um, that oftentimes during Samhain, and we know this from from little. We have some sparse records of it, but there's there's some some ideas what happened to it is that the, the Druid leaders would sometimes wear animal skins and heads during the ceremonies, sometimes with antlers. Okay. Uh, so you can see where this is going, right? Yeah. Um, but in, in fact, the truth of it is that that there was nothing satanic about it. In fact, the idea of Satan itself wouldn't even be invented for many centuries. Um, they, the, 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 the Druids and, and the, 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 the Gaelic people that celebrated Samhain they had no concept of the Christian devil, so it was, it was they wouldn't even know what you were talking about if you said that it was satanic or evil.
2: You, you know, you were talking about the wearing of skins with, with heads, with, with horns. The, the Indians, the natives, Americans and Canadians wore them in, on the plains when they were hunting
4: yeah, I mean, yeah. it was not a there, there there's nothing inherently strange about it. I mean, it's and but one of the one of the reasons why I think uh, Halloween is especially sort of salient and sort of scared some people is that it involves disguises. It involves something that appears one way that is in fact another way. And the most obvious manifestation of that is costumes, right? So you have. Yeah. Little little Susie, little Bobby dressing up as you know a marvel superhero or a witch or a princess or what have you. And of course, sometimes adults as well. And so you have this notion that things aren't quite what they seem, and there's there's trickery involved. and And that sort of transformed into a broader sort of uneasiness with uh, things that seem to be good or wholesome, and like, for example, candy, right? So candy, universally loved by children, adults, and everywhere, and yet there's this sort of latent fear about uh, tainted Halloween candy, for example.
2: Yeah, I, 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 can understand the, um, I can understand the concerns about costumes prior to COVID, but I, yeah, ever since COVID, we've all had to wear masks anyway, and, you know, little Tommy dressing up like little Sally or little Sally dressing up like little Tommy, hey, these are just signs of the times.
4: Exactly. I mean, there's, yeah, that's this is w- welcome to the, the the world in 2021. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you can you can we can trace back some of the uh, some of the traditions of 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 costumes to, for example, uh, what was called mumming or guising, in which uh, this comes primarily from 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 Ireland and Britain, where um, people would disguise themselves and go door to door. Asking for food or treats or a little bit of money uh, sometimes in exchange for praying for the dead So it was like it wasn't it wasn't a trick-or-treat insofar as if you don't give me something I'll, you know, put soap on your windows or deflate your tires. It was uh, people dressing up and going around sort of alms for the poor and if uh, for example your grandfather had died or some family member or some friend they would offer prayers in exchange for a a little pittance and they'd go on from place to place And trick or treat itself didn't really start in the U.S. uh, until uh, World War II, so it actually doesn't have that long history here in the states.
2: What was the reason for it starting during World War II? Any idea?
4: Well, I think that the part of it was that it just it wasn't before then. It wasn't really a children's holiday. Oh, I see. Yeah, I mean, Halloween it was brought over, as I mentioned, uh, by by uh, by the, the, the Irish, Irish, yeah, uh, primarily Irish immigrants and British immigrants. And before then, it was it was something that families did, but it wasn't really child centered as it is today. Uh, and that really did it. Really didn't become focused on kids until about the 1950s. And that, in sort of coincidental with that, was that this is when there there began uh, being manufactured. Uh, masks in in mass production, right? So this is where you had, um, you know, the, the the plastic was available. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is of course after the war, yeah. And so there was there were more more ways to commercialize and market, if you will, Halloween to to families and kids.
2: I'm probably going to get a lot of negative emails for what I'm going to say now, but I wonder how many people actually come out of the closet at Halloween.
4: <laughs> <laughs> that that's a good question. Yeah. I I had not. I hadn't thought about that. Well, that's because um, you're not
2: as warped as I am, Ben. <laughs> well,
4: I'm—I do my best, but you—you're—you are a high water mark, my friend.
2: <laughs> uh, and God bless the Irish. Not only did they bring over potatoes, not only did they bring over leprechauns, not only did they bring over Guinness, but they brought over Halloween. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the uh, with a few notes from our sponsors. Geez, I hope we don't have any candy sponsors, Craig, because if we do, we, I just lost <laughs> them. Uh, <laughs> leave it to me, huh? I uh, still say one of these days I'm going to get a call from the Vatican, and if they do call, I'm not here. <laughs> our, our guest this hour is Benjamin Radford. His website is BenjaminRadford.com, and uh, we'll be back getting into more trouble. I mean, as the show continues on the other side of this break, this is the Exo, and don't forget, ExoNation, check out my newest favorite radio station in the world. Classic rock, classic talk, classic 1220. Their website, you can listen to it around the world www.classic1220.ca. Don't go away because we'll be back as Halloween week continues here in the X Zone. Oh, I hope my dentist isn't listening.
0: From his slab began to rise, and suddenly, to my surprise, he did
3: the mash,
0: he did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was-
3: Benjamin
2: Radford is my guest this hour, Exonation. Nation. His website is BenjaminRadford.com. Ben, I remember going out to trick-or-treating with my younger brother when we were just kids, and nobody ever worried about the candies. Gosh, they used to throw in pennies in the bag. They used to throw in peanuts, um, jelly beans, whatever. And, and yet today we have to be so careful.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because a lot of these uh, rumors and and sort of moral panics uh, really track along with social anxieties. Um, So this is why uh, right around Halloween, although Mm -hmm. other times of the year as well, but particularly Halloween, we see these uh, these other anxieties that are sort of laid on to Halloween and and kids and things like that. So you know that we you, you sort of talked touched on the idea of candy being dangerous to kids, yeah. not just from a dental point of view <laughs> and obesity point of view, although there is that, but this notion that that uh, there's the stranger danger fear, this idea that there are strangers out there trying to. Harm kids, put razors in apples. I'm not sure who's giving out apples these days, but I'm sure somebody is, uh, and things like that. So there, there's the, it's in many ways these sorts of fears that circulate uh, and rumors that circulate around Halloween sort of crystallize uh, social anxieties.
2: I, I was in uh, Costco the other day and uh, they had uh, these big boxes of, of face masks for sale. So I bought a couple of those. Every kid who's going to come here is going to get a free ha- face mask in a in a, in a uh, A ziplock bag (laughs) that does sound pretty creepy yeah it does same what the heck um hauntings stories of hauntings um you you must get a lot of this because you do a lot of media as well as your own your own show
4: uh what's your favorite haunted story oh there's there's so many um you know, oftentimes I'm asked to uh, sort of give an opinion on some famous haunted house or some famous uh, movie or something. Mm-hmm. So I, I constantly get emails, you know, what's the true story behind The Exorcist or The Amyville Horror Story or something like that. And, and I'm, I've written about it, but as have many other people, and so I often sort of direct people to, to those websites, um, that, you know, some sort of good skeptical, you know, critical thinking, media literacy analyses. Um, other times, you know, people will, will uh, contact me uh, with sort of weird personal, real, weird personal stories seeking help. Um, in fact, uh, there was one that actually just happened just about a week ago. There was a woman that contacted me, and uh, she, uh, she wrote to me saying that she was possessed by the spirit of a, a man that had died in 2013 in Florida, OK. And I, 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 w- I was like, OK. Um, and, you know, it, it's always difficult in my position because, you know, I, I'm as, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm a writer and I'm sort of, you know, do some TV and stuff. And so I have a little bit of a profile and that cuts both ways. On one hand, it's it's nice because it gets it gets some of the work seen. On the other hand, it means that people you get emails and, yep. and, and you I'm sure you get even weirder ones than I do. <laughs> And So I so and these are some of the hardest ones to to deal with right because you know Oftentimes the people that reach out to me are people who are sincerely frightened. That's right. They're they're genuinely And we talked about this last time I was on the show There are people who are genuinely frightened that there's some evil entity in their house They're they're generally scared that there's a curse on them or something else and so, you know, I, I don't want to just sort of ignore the email because you know, they're probably somebody who sincerely needs help. On the other hand, I mean, I have a degree in psychology, but I'm not, (laughs) I'm not trained for this. I can't, you know, so in this case, I said, okay, I I wrote back and said, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm super busy, but I'll, you know, I'll take a quick time to talk to you. And so I interviewed her for, for about half an hour. Uh, And again, this is very recently, this is about a week or two back. And it was the strangest thing. She told me the story. I won't go into the whole thing, but she told me the story about how, uh, she had gone to a friend's house recently and she started playing with a Ouija board. And of course that set off red flags for me because oftentimes people believe that you can communicate with the dead through a, you know, a game you could buy at target in Costco, which <laughs> I've, always, I've always been a little skeptical of that, but whatever. And, um, yeah, yeah. and so I said, well, what's going on? I said, well, so it turned out that this, this person that she believed was, was inside her body make, take that as you will uh was actually an old ex-boyfriend of hers and uh she was wanting so it was the strangest thing so i'm i'm on a zoom call with her right and and i'm talking to her and she she clearly has this entity that she believes is inside her body (laughs) and so as as we're talking her 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 shoulders slump Uh uh-huh and her voice deepens right and she starts talking in this male voice oh boy and she's literally, or she she certainly believes that she's channeling another person right in front of me. And so she was like, you know, she says, you know, I'm I'm asking, I'm asking, I'm trying to help her resolve the situation. And I would t- I would tell her something, and she'd say, well, you can ask him yourself. And then she sort of does this, almost like a a, a, a a an impressionist thing, and and he's communicating with me, and it was this, and it wasn't a put on. I mean, I, I she was clearly genuinely believing this. And so I, you know, it was strange and I tried to sort of, you know, bring her back to reality and try to give her ways of of coping with it and dealing with it.
2: You know, there are those people out there who have issues who actually do believe that they're being possessed, but it's their own own multiple personality syndrome that kicks in, um,
4: uh, yeah, and it, and Any one bells? of the interesting things is it's so easy for people to to think that. Um, mm-hmm. And if you don't know really anything about psychology, or if you have if you haven't talked to these people, that can sound very outlandish. But the truth is that it's very easy for for the ordinary, average, non-psychotic person to at times believe that they are they have some external um, force or influence in them. And I often see this in my musician friends. Um, I can't tell you the number of times who, uh, when I'll be talking to somebody and they'll say, "Yeah, I was, just, I was in the zone," and you know, and I, I, just felt, you know, and and they they'll tell me it's like, and these are skeptics. These are, you know, they're they they do not mean this literally. They don't they they're not they're not literally claiming that some external force entered their body. Right. But they will tell you. And I mean, as a creative person, you know, doing art or whatever it is. Um, it's easy to sort of feel like you're a channel for, you know, creativity and this and that. And under some circumstances, that can be mistaken for some external intelligence that's possessing you.
2: Hmm. Uh, what about all these, these ghost hunters who keep on going to all these, the same haunted place, time after time after time? <laughs> I, w- I, was talking to, I was talking to one last week. And um, I said, "Has it ever occurred to you that the ghosts may not want you guys to keep trespassing there? And everybody goes there." And she <laughs> says, "Well, no, they want us there because they know that we know that they're still there, and they talk to us. I ask them questions; they give me answers." Uh huh. I said, "Okay. Well, what kind of questions do you ask them?" Well, I say, "Are you there?" I said. Okay, what other questions do you ask?
4: <laughs> Seems pretty basic. Can you can and, you hear and, me? And, and if there's no response, the answer doesn't mean that they don't exist. It's that they choose not to answer. You got it. You got it. it uh, yeah, it is. You, you know, you you raise a really interesting question, and and I've asked ghost hunters that before. I mean, mm-hmm. and one thing that that often doesn't get discussed about ghost hunting um, is exactly what you're saying. Is because you know there are there you know. As you know, there are literally thousands and thousands of ghost hunting groups uh, in North America and around the world. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes they're influenced by these TV shows and Zach Baggins and, and all this and that. Um, and, you know, they they off, they go into their, their local haunted place, right? So there's some cemeteries, some broken down building whatever else. But there's also a very robust ghost industry ghost tourism industry oh, parish tourism
2: yeah big time.
4: oh yes huge right and yeah. so and it and you see this I mean it's it's part of a broader sort of paranormal industry right so if mm-hmm. you go to Salem for example of course there's a witch trial uh, there's there's a, there's a, a witch tourism thing if you go to uh, go to Louisiana and New Orleans of course yeah. there's voodoo and witches everywhere so and in the same way if you go to the Pacific Northwest uh, California and of course there's Bigfoot, Bigfoot and like yeah. that. But but there are many places that are famous for being haunted. So, for example, there's the Stanley Hotel, the Waverly uh, I can think of several hotels uh, here in New Mexico. There's mm-hmm. the St. James, La fonda and so on. And one thing that 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 uh, has struck me, and you touched on this a second ago, is that the these places. The Myrtle's Plantation is another good example. I've been there uh, a couple times in in Louisiana, and. Um, and the they again they're sort of famous for being haunted and they that's a big part big part of their their business is yeah. uh, hey we were featured on ghost adventures and you know see us on season 5 blah 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 and so they have people coming from across the country and sometimes around the world to stay in a haunted place <laughs> Dun, dun. Oh. And and anyways, I I'll, you know, I'll wrap it up. But so yeah. it's the the, the 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 curious thing is that what they don't seem to recognize is that these 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 ghost hunter groups they just cycle through there. Yep. And over the course of months and years, there has been hundreds and hundreds of investigations, and they've all come up with almost nothing. It's the same crappy photos and <laughs> weird experiences, and there's nothing there.
2: Same old, same old. Exactly. All right, buddy, stand by. We've got to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Benjamin Radford and I will return as we continue seriously taking a look at Halloween. We'll be back. Don't no, go away.
3: Up in North California, where the Redwoods reach the skies. men with a gold and a pack that they'd hold and a promise till the day that they die.
2: Canada's very own Gordon Lightfoot, singing in the Ghosts of Cape Horn. Benjamin Radford's my guest this hour. His website is BenjaminRadford.com. Uh, you and I were talking uh, during the news break, and um, I, I was telling you that I've been doing this show now for 32 years, and absolutely nothing has changed except the people. Who, it's like not only are they recycling the places that they go to, but they recycle people as well. Um, and, and still, there's no evidence of anything, except now they're using cliche words like quantum physics, right. string theory, multi-dimensions,
4: multi-universes. Bring in the Deepak, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it really is remarkable. And and you, you know, when you talk to ghost hunters, uh, as of course you and I both have, and others as well, you know, oftentimes there there's no sense of history, and they 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 think that this was invented, you know, 15 years ago with the TV shows. And and you know, and you try to tell them like, look, I mean, people have been looking for evidence of ghosts uh, for for over a century now. Yeah. Um and and so the, you know, so I have to explain to him' like, you know, you, you believe you're doing good, you know cutting edge research. You think you're on the edge of the unknown. And the fact is that you're just doing the same stuff that was that, it, that has not been fruitful uh, for for decades now. And they and they just don't get it. And it's and one thing uh, and you you know you began the show by talking about you know what some of the ghost hunters believe and stuff. And you know one thing that often gets lost here is that is that previous throughout most of human history, when people talked about communicating with the dead, they weren't talking about going to some allegedly haunted location and trying to provoke the spirit into answering your questions it was the, the spirits they're trying to contact were their family members. They were uh, lost loved ones and friends like that. So, so that, that was, you know, so if, if you talk to somebody, if you brought someone, you know, who, who lived in the 1800s and you said, yes, you know, this is what ghost hunters do. They would say, why, why would you go to some other location and contact and Talk to the spirit of somebody you didn't even know. What are they going to talk to you about? You didn't know them. That's right. Right. <laughs> why? Why? The, the, I mean, the notion, the, the 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 very premise that modern ghost hunters use—that is that there's you know the spirits and they're sort of trapped in between these worlds and this and that. That that's that's a relatively new phenomenon. That was sort of emerged during the spiritualism in the eighteen hundreds. Um, and has sort of, you know, been refined over the years, but it's, you know, it 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 shows you just how culture-bound ideas and beliefs about ghosts are.
2: You've got places like Waverly where tons of ghost researchers, investigators, whatever they want to call themselves, go, and excuse me, and they all come back with different stories. Um, if the ghosts were there, and if they were doing research, wouldn't they come back with the same stories?
4: You would think. Uh, you know, here's so here's the thing about that um, okay. is that uh, you know when you have a when you have a, a famous haunted place like Waverly, like Myrtle's Plantation, um, like yeah, you know, like different ships and things like that, yeah. then um, then there is a pre-existing. Legend that people can people know and people can look up because it's on, it's on Wikipedia. It's in ghost hunting books And so you have this sort of this set of stock characters Right. So if you go to the Whaley house in San Diego, you go to the Myrtle's plantation you go, you know, take your pick um, And so there you know, people know uh, Because they've seen it on TV or they've seen ghost hunters wherever else they they know who is supposed to be there right so, so they say like for example, I did investigation in Montego Bay, Jamaica, of a place called uh, Rose Hall. Yeah. The, the the allegedly the the the, uh, the the White Witch of Rose Hall, mm-hmm. and people go to this 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 former great house, this former uh, plantation. Uh, if you read the stories about it, you know that it's allegedly haunted by uh, Annie Palmer, uh, who allegedly killed her uh, killed several several of her husbands and and was uh, tortured slaves and this and that, and so. So when when ghost hunters and even just ordinary people who are curious about ghosts, when they go to these locations, they're pre-populated with characters it, like like you would in a role-playing game or or a book or a movie, right? And so so they will interpret um, any weird thing, any weird sound. Oh, that must have been you know the ghost of Annie, or right. oh that you know there's there I get I'm getting a scary sense over there. That must be you know. The, the evil colonel right there are all these weird caricatures these these stock characters that are that are sort of shoehorned in into these in into these these ghost stories and oftentimes they have there's no historical basis to them whatsoever so so they go in with a preconceived concept exactly yeah right they 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 go in with a preconceived concept and so for example so they take their cues as to what to expect Again, from TV shows, from ghost hunting books, and whatever else. And so, for example, there's there's a there's a a famous hotel here in New Mexico, that is uh, allegedly haunted by a woman, uh, and she is associated with uh, perfume, with a a sort of floral perfume. And of course, uh, if you tell people that, they'll smell it. And then enough people say, "Do do you smell that? I kind of do. It it must be Susie, (laughs) right?" And so. So, you know, so much of what people interpret as being ghosts is subjective experience. And when you and one interesting part of this is that the when you talk to people, ordinary average people who believe in ghosts and have ghost experiences, it's nothing like you see on TV. It's nothing like the you know, Hollywood films and the dramatic sensationalized scary things. Uh, it's not the poltergeist stuff. It is very simple Subtle mundane things. It's it's a scent. It's uh it's a, a you know a something a dark image out of the corner of your eye late at night. It's uh, missing keys. It's a, a, an odd sound as you're sleeping. It's things like that. And and so the 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 experiences that people that people actually genuinely report are so far removed from the Hollywood versions that it's like night and day. I don't know if I've told you this before, but I.
2: Uh, you know, when I was at CKDB in St. Catharines, we used to go on local ghost adventures. And one was at the Fort George in yes, Niagara-on-the-Lake.
4: Yes, I've, I've been to Fort George several times.
2: Okay. Now, I know it well. All right, so you go on the tour. Uh, Kyle Upton was our tour guide. And uh, they play the part. They're great actors. And um, we're going through and, oh, but like, you know, the little girl, that scene in the tunnel. Sarah Ann. Sarah Ann, and then the yep. violins, that play from the yep. quarters. And, of course, people are gathering glimpses of this, and they're hearing the violins. And t- at the end of the um, tour, tour guide said, do you have any questions? I said, yeah, I've got one. Uh, so the ghosts that people were hearing or experiencing here are because this is where the fort was, Right. Oh, that's right. I said, no, <laughs> the fort was 500 feet from here and it was rebuilt here. So how can the ghost be here? Well, that was the last time I was asked to go on a ghost tour.
4: <laughs> you know, you're absolutely right. In fact, uh, uh my, my, uh, my most recent book on ghosts, titled investigating ghosts actually has, uh, has two chapters on Fort George and, and Sarah Ann. Yeah. So I'm, I know exactly the story you're telling and you're exactly right. It's it's fascinating because it doesn't fit their narrative. Right? Yeah. Their narrative is, you know, oh and a ghost is seen here because this is this is where you, the soldier died. Yeah. And it's like how number 1 the, the fort wasn't here. <laughs> number 2 all this is 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 rebuilt stuff. Half of this is from Canadian Tire. Yeah. And, and third of all, you don't know this. These are, you're, you're taking legends and stories and sort of recasting them as historical accounts when, in fact, there may be nothing to it at all.
2: Just like the story of Captain Swayze in the in the basement of of the Angel Inn in Niagara-on-the-Lake. And then you've got story <laughs> after story after story, the, the place where they have the King Henry VIII's feast. and
4: I remember that, yeah, right? It's,
2: it's like, why don't you just tell the truth? <laughs>
4: I'll tell you a quick story about 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 uh, about Fort George. What, what? I, was, I did a, um, I've, I did it. have got I did about a, forty
2: seconds to oh, I like go to my break. I'll, I'll save it for later. Okay, uh, Benjamin, tell our listeners where they can get uh, books uh, books that you've done, and where they can listen to your show.
4: Sure, I have a podcast called Squaring the Strange. Um, S-Q-U-A-R-I-N-G, The Strange. Uh, Of course it is. Um, And you can find that on iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, I've got a dozen or so books. Uh, Most relevant here would probably be Investigating Ghosts, The Scientific scientific Search for Spirits, which is available. I try to tell people to go to local independent bookstores. Not always possible, but you know where to go.
2: I've been told where to go many times. (laughs) Mostly by my wife. When I was born, my mother said I should be on stage. And I said, yes, Mom. She said, yeah, the next one leaving town. <laughs> Stick around. I got a ton of them. Exxon Nation, my guest is the one and only Benjamin Radford. His website is BenjaminRadford.com. And we'll both be back on the other side as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada. Not very far from Fort George. We'll be back. Don't go away.
3: All around old Randall, Cape Horn. Ships of the line, Ships of the morn Some who wish they'd never been born They are the ghosts of Cape Horn All around the riddle they run With a rim in diddy and a rum. Sailing away at the break of dawn They are the ghosts of Cape Horn See them all in sad repair Demons dance everywhere Southern gale Tattered seals and none to tell the tale.
0: We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now
1: get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2.00. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
2: going to call it Ghostbusters 1-800 get the damn ghost out of here because I'm afraid of it <laughs> horrible just horrible hey uh, Benjamin before we went to the break you were just going to tell us another
4: story about Fort George Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, I had done uh, a couple investigations there when I lived uh, in there in Buffalo. Yeah. And there was uh, I was contacted by a, a film crew out of uh, I think it was a, a Toronto University. Uh, and they were asking, uh, I guess they'd heard, heard of me and they sort of wanted to have a, a sort of token skeptic on the show, which <laughs> is usually my role, as you know. Um, I'm, I'm brought on the last in the last you know, three minutes to try and refute everything that you saw in the previous 52 minutes. Um, but in this particular case, uh, I was there with, um, with some uh, ghost hunters from uh, the Golden Horseshoe. Um, and they were actually quite nice. We all got along pretty well. They they knew where I was coming from, and <laughs> I knew where they were coming from. Um, but it was it was this we did so we did investigation in the soldiers' barracks, among other places there. Uh, and if people haven't been to Fort George, it's really a beautiful place. It's definitely worth a look. It's just probably not haunted but in any event <laughs> um so i i remember the, it was an overnight thing and uh, of course because they, they wanted it to sort of it's, it's more dramatic and sensational if no one's you know slept in uh, in 24 hours so um so we, we began the night in one of the soldiers barracks and um and so they began by trying to by having some of the ghost hunters and some of the the intuitives or psychics try and communicate with the ghost and so uh, it was, I think, three or four of us plus a, a, a camera crew and audio guy, and I'm just setting aside. You know, I'm not there to cause trouble. I'm not there to, you know, obj- I'm just there to just listen and watch and see what's going on. And so, we're, and if you've seen any of the ghost hunting TV shows, this is this was this, you know, the template. And they said, okay, if there's anything there, give us a sign. And we're waiting. We're waiting. And then um, and then nothing happens. Uh, and then so then uh, the you know, it's, it's a little embarrassing to the ghost hunters because, of course, they're asking for a sign of ghost and we're not getting anything at all, which is which is frankly unusual, given, 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 uh, given uh, you know, what, what the barracks look like. And, and, and this is actually a thing in November. So it was super cold. And then say, oh, yeah, we know there's a spirit here. Give us a sign. We wait. We wait. And as you know, Fort George is very near Niagara-on-the-Lake. It is, yeah. And so there's there's a car alarm. It's clearly <laughs> a car alarm. I say, that's not a sign. And I got the glare. I got a, if looks could kill glare from all the ghost centers Like, okay, just to be clear, the fact that a car alarm went off that's, you know, that's a kilometer away <laughs> is not, I'm not calling that a sign. He's like, okay, fine, whatever.
2: So. Well, why would it, a sign be a kilometer away? Wouldn't the sign be right there where the ghost I, is?
4: Yes, thank you, right. mm. That's that's what I'm trying to get a lot. And it's like, and you, know, I'm going through this whole thing, and and again, I'm I'm not I'm I'm there. I I'm actually wasn't quite sure why I was there because the the <laughs> producer contacted me and said, "Look, we're we're going to be having these um these ghost hunters go there, and we want you to explain what they what they find." And this was before the show. And I said, well, I'm not sure what you mean by that. I said, you know, I, I can tell you what's going to happen is that I'll be there. And one of the ghost hunters will go in a room and say, oh, I'm, I'm sensing an evil presence <laughs> in that corner. And 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 the producer's like, yeah, yeah. And I'll say, and what do I do with that? I, 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 no, no, you're not. <laughs> I mean, how, how can I possibly investigate or, or she's Validate, like, oh, yeah. I hadn't thought of that. I was like, well, of course you haven't thought about that because this is, you're trying to make some dramatic TV. I'm trying to actually investigate. And, and I, I said, look, I, I'll do the show. I'm I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to participate. But just so you know, going in a lot of the, the so-called evidence generated by these ghost hunters is not falsifiable. It's not investigatable. It's I'm getting a weird feeling in this room and Okay. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. So, how did the production end up?
2: I mean, uh, nobody lynched you because you're obviously still here.
4: Uh. It, it ended up. Uh, it ended up just fine. Actually, it it, it turned into a uh, – a, a, I, I later got uh, later on got a DVD of it. It was it was titled Encounters, um, and it was it was clearly a student effort. I mean, I don't think it was for a broadcast. Um, so it was a, I think it was university, university of Toronto, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so it was it was a, you know, it was a you know graduate student um, program. Uh, again, I don't think it aired, but i it didn't, you know, they did end up making a a show of it. Um, and you know it was it was fine. I mean, I, you know, it's the, nope, there were no hurt feelings. Uh, and I got a chapter or two out of out of it for one of my books. <laughs> but it was, but I enjoyed it because I got the chance to be with ghost hunters, with sincere people. And uh, and that was one of my first experiences doing uh, TV uh, TV crews at the time, and so you know I got to know them, and so I we were chatting, and like look, I'm not Mr. Mean Skeptic, you're not this and that. It's like just you know I'm you know to tell me, I was talking to one, one of the ghost hunting psychic, said you know when you when you say you're experiencing a ghost, what does that mean? And again, I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to trap you. You're I'm tra- you're trying curious, to learn. I don't know yeah. what it would mean to sense a ghost. Mm-hmm. And she says, well, you know, it just sort of is, a, is an odd feeling. And I said, well, <laughs> I, 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 it, it, it's people have odd feelings all the time. That doesn't mean it's a ghost. And she sort of grudgingly admitted it. And, you know, so I, I think I imparted a little bit of my point of view where, look, I'm not saying that I'm not saying ghosts don't exist. I'm not saying you can't detect ghosts. I'm just pointing out that a lot of what you're claiming as evidence for ghosts is sort of subjective and, you know, not really a thing I can do with. And she's like, yeah, I guess you're right. So well, we actually came to a bit of an understanding. So that that was good insofar as that happened. Well, you know, there are I, I believe that there are
2: good ghost investigators out there. Um, and the best investigators that I have spoken to over the years are also historians. Mm-hmm. And, um, Larry Lawson in Florida in Indian river is one of those people. Uh, he's a former police, uh, detective himself and he, he's a historian and he does his tours that are, that are history based. And mm-hmm. he says, now there are people who see or hear things at this place or that place. And he doesn't put the image in, in the mind that yes, there is something there, but it's but it's nice to see, uh, you know, like people like Larry and other ghost researchers who actually take the time to to get the history of the locations, where they are, instead of just bringing the people in, queuing them up, giving them a little prep talk outside, and implanting the power of suggestion in them when they go into the location.
4: Absolutely, you no, you're exactly right, and I mean, and the other angle that I come from. Uh, is because I'm not a historian, although I often do historical research mm-hmm. in the context of my investigations. But my 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 angle is really folklore. And um, when you when you get down to it, a lot of ghost hunting and ghost uh, and ghost stories, it's by definition folklore. It's you know it, these are ghost stories, and so uh, and a lot of what passes for for ghost investigation, ghost hunting, is really what folklorists call legend tripping. Um, and it's, you know, it's when there's a pre-existing legend and they sort of act it out. They go to a place and they, they sort of do these rituals and sort of you, you, like you, you might go see, go to a mirror and say bloody Mary 16 times or something. And so there's a lot of, there's a whole lot of really unrecognized folklore in a lot of ghost investigations. Uh, go to
2: the, did you say go to the mirror and say bloody Mary 16 times?
4: Yes, <laughs> that or Candyman. I mean, there's there's oh, different gosh. versions of it, but yes. So what what's your favorite part of Halloween? Ooh, my favorite part of Halloween. No. Um, honestly, I my favorite part is probably the elaborate costumes. Um, not so much during a pandemic, of course, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, I I I enjoy seeing people do their groove. And you, there's always, you know, there's some people who just don't care, and that's fine. But then there are some people who, you know, they've been waiting, they've been chopping at the bit you know, <laughs> since July to put together this amazing costume. So I, I really enjoy the, the, the costumes and just sort of, you know, the, the getting together and celebrating something sort of, you know, fun and spooky and things like that. Uh, I'm not as keen on, on having to debunk uh, myths about, you know, tainted candy and, yeah. and, you know, things like that. But, you know, because just, that just sort of unnecessarily scares kids. I mean, and the world is scary enough without sort of manufacturing these things. Isn't that the truth?
2: Well, we know one thing for sure. Once Halloween is over on October 31st, November 1st, the Christmas carols start. Yes, indeed. If not already, if not already, right. Benjamin. Once
4: again, let our listeners know how they can find out more about you. Sure, I'm around on social media. You can find me on on uh, Facebook, uh, at Ben Radford. There's there's. I love caricatures, so you may see a caricature of me on my on my icon. I have a podcast called Squaring the Strange. It comes out every every two weeks, and we we're now celebrating our I think our fifth year. And we have all sorts of interesting topics there. And, of course, you can find some of my books, including Investigating Ghosts and uh, Scientific Paranormal Investigation, uh, online. Benjamin, thank you so much for sharing your time with us tonight. And
2: to you and yours, happy Halloween. Thanks. Same to you. Good night, Ben. Good night. Well, that's it for tonight, Exonation. Back tomorrow night at 10 o'clock, as once again we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exon. So, from everyone here at the X Zone, Mar McConnell Media, and for all our broadcast affiliates around the world, to you and yours, thank you very much for joining us. And a special thanks to my senior executive producer, my lovely wife, and best friend, Laura Rogers. So, until tomorrow night, remember always keep your eyes to the sky and your heart to the light. Good night, everyone.
3: Ooh,